Hi everyone, and welcome to the ADSR Inspirations Podcast. My name is James Mallion, I'm your host, as I introduce you to inspirational and artful souls from all over the world. I'm deeply interested in music, film, the arts, achieving goals, overcoming struggles, and big ideas. So join me as we uncover some life lessons and knowledge. We're based out of Tokyo, Japan, and we'll be speaking with people from all over the world, ranging from artists, musicians, creatives, leaders, big thinkers, and those who strive to do and be great. Thanks for listening along. Now let's get inspired. Welcome once again to ADSR Inspirations, and I'm really looking forward to chatting with today's guest. Uh, I think he's going to be perfect for the show. Daniel Rosen is a 25-year-plus resident of Japan by way of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He's been in Japan. uh, Since he's been in Japan, he's completed his master's and PhD on fine art from Tama Art University in Tokyo. Individually, he's done work as a visual artist, a curator, a VJ, a film director, an art writer, and more. Then in 2012, he founded Tokyo Dex, a creative agency, and now market leader in art installations into offices and commercial spaces, as well as collaborating on and creating art-infused events, workshops, and videos. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Daniel H. Rosen. Hey, man. Uh, I feel like we can end right there. I, I don't think I'm going to say anything better than uh, what you just said. Uh, That's if you're looking all we for got. PR work, uh, let me know. Um, but yeah, thanks for having me. Um, really looking forward to the chat. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for doing it, man. So uh, I was going through like some of your bios and uh, I came across uh, the following little quote that I think I think you wrote yourself. So it says, um, when I was growing up, I believe artists possessed some kind of magic beyond the reach of the rest of us. I never dreamed I could be an artist myself, even though I was drawn into all things creative. This self-doubt postponed the pursuit of my own artistic endeavors until my late 20s. And then later on, you say that you came to understand that there is indeed an artist inside all of us. So I just kind of like to talk to you about some of those ideas. Um, Do you think that being an artist or being good at art um, is a skill that can be learned, practiced, and perfected? Or is something, you know, you, like I've heard this a lot myself, you know, oh, you know, they're born with a certain talent or, you know, oh, I wish, you know, I was born with that skill. Do you kind of see art as something, if you work hard enough, you can achieve it? Or do you think there's some innate talent that comes with art as well? Uh, I think it's like everything else. And the answer is both. Um, you know, I think we all have proclivities towards, towards certain things and that, um, we may be blessed with certain gifts and not with others and everybody has their fortes, et cetera. Um, but that's not to say that it can't be learned and that, um, you shouldn't pursue, uh, art, uh, just because, um, you know, you weren't one of those kids that found themselves picking up a pencil and drawing everything. I think there's different expressions. Um, and so much of what leads us towards, uh, self-development and beliefs in who we are is external, uh, and people telling you, uh, you're good at this, you're not good at that. And the encouragement being there or not being there is so massive that, 
just believing uh, it as a possibility, uh, I think is so is so huge. Um, and there's, you know, there's the idea that we do what we're good at. And then there's also the philosophy that we're good at what we do. Um, and I definitely was not one of those kids who grew up uh, excelling artistically in the classic sense. Um, and I did have those uh, preconceptions about what it meant to be an artist and to be a creative person. Um, and there were several key people in my life that encouraged me on that journey uh, to t- sort of just turn that that preconception around, which was really the biggest obstacle. Um, but I think a lot of people don't have that encouragement. And so a lot of really amazing talent goes undiscovered in all of our lives. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, you mentioned, you know, like a couple or a few key people that kind of, uh, maybe changed your mind on those ideas. Um, do you feel like, you know, that was kind of enough or do you feel, you know, you said like it wasn't really until your kind of twenties when you kind of decided to make a career in art. Do you, do you feel like you could have started at an earlier age if you kind of received that encouragement from a younger age or you feel like it kind of happened at the right time for you or. Yeah, that's a really difficult question to answer. I mean, there's when I go back now in time, I think we all have this wish. I wish I knew then what I sure. knew now kind of thing. And I it, would I have liked if I could go back in time, would I spend more of my 20s uh, doing more creative work and, you know, picking up my camera more and uh, writing more and all of these things? Absolutely. But I also feel like um, everything that I did up to the present moment uh, was essential towards getting me where I am right now. And I'm pretty excited about where I am and what I'm doing right now. So no real regrets. Um, But in terms of key moments and key people, um, I always look back to um, my late twenties. I was, uh, I had worked as a a writer for a long time in in advertising. And I, um, in the mid nineties had sort of a chance meeting with a, performing arts group uh, called Kodo that are based on Sato Island. And I just went up to see their festival uh, or celebration one year. And I was just so blown away by that entire experience uh, that I knew I wanted to be a part of it somehow. And and the, the following year I applied to be a staff member. And so I worked at the festival as English uh, support staff. And uh, the next year I, I was uh, invited back and worked on the island for a, a couple months. A couple more weeks and ended up doing sort of press response. And I ended up touring with uh, those guys for um, the better part of two years uh, from 98 to 2000. Uh, I was joined, I joined the Kodo drummers as a um, road manager slash press liaison slash whatever it is they asked me to do. Uh, And we went on these, we went out on these tours for two and three months at a time. And I think that really changed my idea of what, I thought uh, it, it meant to be an artist. When I saw them first on stage, they were um, just gods to me, you know, and I thought I could never be uh, in that category, but I would like to support that. And uh, don't get me wrong. I know I'm still not, not going to be an, an amazing Tycho drummer and uh, certainly not as fit as those guys are. But I think 
coming um, down off of the stage and into the workshop and into the rehearsal hall and me being so close to these people who are so dedicated to what it is that they were doing, I realized that the struggles were real, that some people may have had more innate talent than others, but that didn't stop the guys who didn't from really finding uh, their gifts and really working so hard at them. And it was such an inspiring experience for me. And also maybe a little bit um, of a sort of bring, bringing it all down to earth a little bit for me, like uh, that mythology of the artist wasn't as real when you get to see, you know, the behind the scenes and what's happening there. And so I was on, I was based on Sato Island and then going out on these tours with them. And that was really my boot camp in arts management and, you know, dealing with contracts and dealing with logistics and dealing with all of the things that uh, I think they don't teach you in art school. But it was what inspired me to go back to uh, art school and um, or to go to art school in the first place. I had always been a sort of weekend potter. Uh, ceramics was something I learned when I first came to Japan when I was 19 years old, but I never took it seriously. And I think the combination of realizing that if I worked hard enough that I maybe could be an artist or at least the, the sort of inkling of that possibility um, was was huge. And not just Kodo, but also on Sato, I had um, friends that were practicing artists. Um, one person in particular, uh, a fellow, uh, is Torontonian the right word? How do you guys yep, refer? Yeah, it is. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> uh, Toronto native uh, Johnny Wales, who is a very gifted painter and watercolorist who happens to be um, based on Sato Island. But when I showed him my work and told him that I wanted to go study art, um, seriously, I think if he had said to me, just don't do it, don't bother. If he had looked at my work and, and said, I don't think you've got it, or it's such a hard life, don't do it. Um, but I remember, you know, we, we had this long conversation and he was like, you know, it, life's, life's, one time and mm. you can always come back and, uh, and, and manage Kodo or, uh, do the other, the other work. But if this is something you really think you want to do, it's not going to be an easy life, but, um, you know, this is the time. And so I think that there was those key people and those key happenings in my life that made me think, uh, that it was possible. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's huge. I think it's huge to have encouragement and and surround yourself with people who who help you to believe in yourself. It's funny that you mentioned Kodo because um, when I was in university, also they they had toured. They were touring, I guess, North America, and they came to my university um, in Hamilton. Where was that? Ha Hamilton, Ontario. Um, the, the school's name is McMaster, which is... Do you remember what year it was? Um, that must have been in the early 2000s, I want to oh, say. Oh, wow, okay. Maybe like 2002 or something. Yeah, and missed you by a couple years. They had, uh, they had also made like a big impression on myself and, um, you know, may have been one of the factors that led me to Japan as well. So um, there you go. It's, it's kind of... We have Kodo to, <laughs> to thank for this gathering. So I'll let them know. Um. So like you mentioned coming to Japan and kind of, um, you know, hooking up with that. And that was a big influence when you, when you first came to Japan, did you kind of have aspirations of maybe, um, doing art as a career or just kind of doing it on the side or. So I would say that up to when I was 19 years old, um, 
art was not really a part of my life. Um, when I look back at it, you know, all these things become clear uh, in retrospect, but in hindsight, I guess is the right word. But when I look back at who my friends were and who I was spending time with, they were the art kids, they were the mm -hmm. musicians and they were the painters. And that was my creative community. But I always felt like I was on the outside looking in. Um, and then when I came to Japan, one of the biggest ironies of my life is that I needed art credit to graduate my home university. I went to Pennsylvania State University and they have a core curriculum and you have to take all kinds of stuff, right? You have to take statistics and economy and everything and economics and everything else. And, and art, I, I looked at the credits that I needed in my junior year and I still needed an art credit. And at the university, I was at Kansai Gaidai and, uh, in uh, Osaka and they offered either sumie brush painting or uh, toge uh, ceramic arts. And I knew that I would be absolutely hopeless at uh, Sumie um, because I had, I had tried to draw before and still to this day can't draw a straight line. But uh, yeah, I, I took the ceramics class because I needed the credit and then I just was hooked. I uh, was spending all of my free time in front of the potter's wheel and amazed at, at what I could uh, create with my own hands. And so that was certainly uh, a massive shift for me, but I still wasn't, um, I wasn't thinking about that as a career goal or something I wanted to take seriously in my life until I went and worked with Kodo. Sure. Right. Um, I know also like you have quite an extensive um, base of, you know, study knowledge. You did your master's and your PhD in, uh, you know, in art, in fine art, I guess, specifically. Um, do you think that it's important for, you know, aspiring artists or people, you know, looking to get into art or make a creative art to have that um, base of knowledge or have that base of study? Or do you think um, if you don't have that, you can still kind of, um, you know, succeed and excel? You mean in terms of having a formal education in, right. in art? right. Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I think people come to their art skills and their art knowledge and their body of work in all kinds of different ways. Um, for me, I think it was pivotal to surround myself with other working artists. Um, I was very lucky um, to find an amazing group of people at uh, the University of um, Hawaii at Manoa. When I, when I left Japan and decided to go pursue artwork uh, seriously, I'm very glad that I didn't try immediately to go into an MFA program into the States. I didn't have the portfolio for it at the time anyway, but I, I couldn't have dealt with a place where I was immediately over-criticized for the work that I was doing. I think I didn't have uh, the confidence at the time for that. And so I went and did some post-bac work at the ceramics department, uh, at the university of Hawaii at Manoa. Um, Hawaii was somewhere I always wanted to be. And when I visited their school, they had a great arts program and a really good vibe and it's Hawaii. So, yeah. uh, it's not a, it's not a tough sell. And I think because there was a combination of kind of laissez-faire, like some just time to explore, uh, but then just some unbelievably talented people who did take it really seriously. 
Uh, there's a guy called David He, uh, who to this day is one of my favorite ceramic artists in the world. But I happened to overlap with him in the ceramics lab, and he was there until midnight every night, just pounding out amazing stuff and and constantly challenging himself and others. And I think in a lot of ways, I, I had a great experience with my professors there as well. But in a lot of ways, I think your peers are going to be the ones that teach you the most and who also push you and who also give you honest feedback and immediate feedback. And one of the most important things I think is to surround yourself with other creative people and other artists who are going to be honest with you about your work, who are going to push you. You know, I, we did, I did a few shows while I was in Hawaii. I was there for three years. Um, and I, I did a group show with a couple of friends called the mechanics of motion. Um, and we worked for like six months towards this thing and just pushed each other to make better and better work. And that to me was what I think helped me build a body of work that got me eventually into the MFA program at Tamabi. Um, and I don't know, I, me personally, I don't think I would have arrived there without that experience and without that sort of formal space to learn art and create art. But for other people, it may be their, uh, their graffiti crew. It might be the people that they hang with and tag walls and, you know, uh, uh, run away from the cops at night. I don't know, uh, who there's different, there's different, uh, I think spaces and, um, situations in which you can learn art. Uh, so it doesn't necessarily have to be a university or formal institution, but I think trying to do it in your studio at home or at your kitchen table, uh, without external input is really, really hard. So if you can get, I was super lucky in that I could sort of work my way, uh, through, um, my college experience, my post-grad experience at, at the university of Hawaii. So I was working half time and in school half time. And then I got a scholarship uh, from the Japanese Ministry of Education to go to Tamar University. And so was essentially, you know, paid to study art, uh, which for which I will be forever grateful because um, otherwise, you know, it's it's let's put it this way. You can cut everything else I've just been blathering on about for the past five minutes. And I would say you have to give yourself space and time and then community uh, to be able to make uh, artwork and pursue your own uh, creative endeavors. And if you have that, um, wherever that comes by, however that comes to you, it doesn't have to be a formal education. Sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I guess maybe these days, you know, with how things are on the internet and online communities, there are some more possibilities um, to connect with other artists. But what I hear you saying is that really kind of excels, I don't know, excels how people kind of progress with their own art and kind of how they um, progress in terms of, you know, success as an artist. Um, no, everybody's different. Um, if you wake up in the morning and you uh, turn on your computer and you're instantly with people who are... Uh, working and inspiring you. I'm sure that's a possibility as well. Um, I can only speak to my own experience, which is that both in Hawaii and at, at Tama as well, I felt like going into that space every day, um, 
made all of the difference and being in a place where it was essentially our jobs to create things. Um, I, the, my growth there was exponential. And then as soon as that experience stopped, uh, of course, you know, I, I had other dreams by the time that I graduated and I built Tokyo Dex upon uh, graduation. Um, but if now for me to say, okay, I'd like to go back and I'd like to make my own artwork, just even carving out the time and, and getting into that mindset is so, is so much more difficult. Um, right. There's this force that propels us uh, when, we're, when we create the environments for creativity. And then that's actually one of the things that I'm trying to do is, uh, you know, in the work that we do through Tokyo Dex is to cultivate environments that, or to create, help create environments that cultivate creativity. But it's hard to come by in, in quote unquote, real life, I think, as opposed to in a university setting or back in the day when you were hanging with your crew or whatever it is. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, I know for you personally, right, like you mentioned the ceramics is kind of your main background, but you've you've dabbled and you've done, you know, a lot of different artistic work, you know, whether it's like visual art or being a VJ, a curator, you know, film director, writer. Is there kind of like one area where you kind of feel like most at home or most comfortable or something that really like gravitates with you more than another or you kind of like the variety? Um, so as a creator um, or a maker of things, I think that I started really with ceramics and then I took that to a place um, where I was just like questioning whether that was really what I wanted to do, if that was really my expression. And uh, a lot of the work that I did later in clay was more about the installation and the event. I mean, I came, I come from a vessel background, so I was actually making functional wear at the beginning, but by the end I was doing these large installations uh, that had video or sound elements. And I really think that, um, I needed ceramics as something I felt comfortable with, a medium where I felt like I could actually create things to make me believe I was creator. And by the end of my PhD program, my whole thesis was about the identity of the ceramic artist in the 21st century. And my the conclusion I came to was that I didn't need to uh, limit myself to that label, that I love the clay, I love clay work. I would love to spend weekends at the wheel again if I ever have time to do that but that, that wasn't my identity. Um, and that even as like a maker of things, you know, I started to do, um, I hooked up with a crew while I was in Tama called, uh, Rimpa Eshidan. And we had early success on YouTube doing art videos. Uh, and so then I started getting into video work and actually worked at a production company upon, uh, graduation. And that's when I started to sort of direct and create more video work. Uh, and I, I think I like storytelling. I think I like directing. I think I like collaborating with other people. So the best work that I do now is where I'm l working with clients or with uh, other artists and I see an interesting story to tell or I see an interesting way of bringing a message together, uh, whether that's branding for a company or, um, you know, helping the artists to express something that resonates uh, in the commercial world. And that's what I'm good at, I think, is kind mm -hmm. of being a bridge between 
those different uh the business world and the art world and people who come from different backgrounds whether that's international and japanese etc cetera, etc cetera. but i i don't spend that much time creating things as much as uh i spend that time um directing projects and um helping people realize larger visions that they couldn't realize on their own, whether that's as a working artist or as a, as a company that's trying to do something new and special. Um, For sure. I think um, you're kind of talking around um, what I wanted to ask you next, which is um, I've seen, I've seen two dates when I was checking out um, the website in your bio. So one says, Tokyo Dex was founded in 2012 and one says 2010. Um, Oh, really? Okay. Um, So I had the name Tokyo Dex since 2010. I think uh, that was when I graduated with my PhD. Sure. And I kind of knew that one of the reasons that I uh, really wanted to um, create Tokyo Dex was uh, the experience that I had in – a Japanese university. There were so many incredibly talented people who I would watch go on to graduate and go into jobs that had nothing to do with the arts, or maybe they would go into a design um, firm, but they were in the four years or the six years or however long they were there, they were making these incredible works of art. And then, you know, some of them stayed with it and they became working artists and, you know, struggled through all that and, and are now are very successful. But I saw so many people um, kind of give all of that up for the safety of a, of a full-time job. And I just thought there has to be another way. There has to be more commercial opportunities for these amazing people and their talents. I felt like it wasn't happening in Japan. Like in the States, I feel like there are more opportunities, or at least there were at that time, uh, this is, you know, 12 years ago um, already. But um at any rate, that was uh, that was the inspiration for trying to start it. And I remember talking with a friend, and and I was like, okay, I need a name for this project that I want to put together. Uh, a good friend of mine called Jason Jenkins, who's a, a copywriter, based in Osaka now. And at the time, I was like, I really like the word dexterous because uh, it's it it talks about you know being skilled and being able to do all of these different things and. I don't know why I'm just like that. That's the word that resonates with me. And uh, I want to know the world that we're based in Tokyo, like Japan is already overused. And so I want to be dexterous in Japan. And he was just like, dude, that's the longest name ever. That's your Tokyo Dex. He literally said to me, you're Tokyo yeah. Dex. And that was it. Like I was like, oh, okay, I am, I guess. And uh, that was 2010. And I started using that moniker for the first two years as an independent um non-incorporated, you know, just working independently with that name. So it depends who's asking and when we're celebrating. Uh, but as a company, we didn't incorporate. I, I was hustling for two years on my own, basically, um, before I created uh, the entity Tokyo Dex as a company. And so uh, next year, we'll be celebrating our 10th anniversary as a company at the end of the year. So great. looking forward to that. Sure, sure. So I guess the next part of that is you briefly touched on it. Those two years before you became incorporated, what did that 
what did that involve you doing? And then was the idea always to um, incorporate it and make it into a company? Um, what were you doing, you know, during those hustling years, as you say? Uh, I think the, sh- the, the short answer is I didn't know what I was doing uh, in sure. every sense of, uh, of uh, that answer. But uh, yeah, I knew that, you know, I, I had uh, worked in the early 90s for um, an advertising firm in Osaka. And I had also worked with the Kodo drummers in a couple of years, which is definitely a non-traditional company, but still a company. And I kind of knew two things when I graduated. One, that I wasn't going to be a studio artist and I wasn't going to make things and try to sell those things uh, in the uh, the world. Um, And that I didn't really want to go back to a job. I didn't want to, you know, I spent six years... um, kind of really figuring out who I was and what I was good at and what my, my creative skills were. And the idea of like doing an in interviewing processes and go back, I mean, who knows, there might've been a really great fit, but I always knew I kind of wanted to, to, um, to go down my own path as it were. And so, um, we just, um, one of the, uh, Rimpa Ishidan members, um, uh, every, most of, so, so I had this crew called Rimpa Ishidan, uh, or I was part of a crew, uh, and people can look them up. We actually were uh, one of the early um, successful uh, groups on YouTube um, back back before there was a YouTube Japan. That it was just still uh, one channel out of Cupertino. We were posting original content. This is like in two thousand five, two thousand six. And some of the art videos we did just really took off and we were invited to visit the YouTube office in, in Cupertino. And we were actually invited to do the first, um, the very first YouTube video that went onto the YouTube Japan site. So we had this video that was parked in the upper right corner of YouTube Japan that was called Welcome to YouTube Japan. And it was not our finest work. I think we heard from YouTube on Friday that they wanted it by Monday and a long story to that as well but it uh, really put us on the map and um there was a you know there was this whole thing like are we going to try to make this work you know are we going to all graduate and and go out into the world and and be this art sensation and uh i think everybody was like counting their money before because we had a couple of like you know early um success stories while we were still students we were invited to um to make a, an opening credit uh, film for an NHK program and we had a McDonald's commercial and we had all these different things. And so we were all just like, you know, uh, you know, talking about all the sports cars we were going to buy. But the reality was that how many commercials do you really have to do to feed five people uh, was the reality that set in. And I had already been out into the world and, and was a little bit older than these guys. And we kind of had that, you know, that talk and we were like, if we're really going to do this, there's going to be a lot of sacrifice to make. And at the end of all of that, people ended up really going their, their separate ways. And, um, I kind of used that as a, the, the, some of the commercial experience that we had had. Um, and the, I had long story short, I had a bit of a portfolio coming out of school already, which already put me ahead of the game. And, um, one of the other members was working, uh, in, in advertising and her name's, um, Akari Sasai and she's, she's based in New York now, but at the time 
we were just kind of pitching left and right. We were just like, okay, um, let's just go out and see what's, what's available. And so it's, it's really hard to do if you, if you depend on income from the work you do, it's really hard to spend that kind of time just pitching, but she was working, uh, part-time or I can't even remember if it was full-time at the time. And I was, uh, I had always, um, earned my bread and butter as a writer, copywriter and translator. So I had clients and could, I still had clients and I could do that work as I was building the company. And then there was a bit of money coming in from YouTube as well, because we were one of the early partners there. So the, the stars kind of aligned to give me the uh, space and time and, and income that I needed to be able to start a company. And I think if you talk to entrepreneurs, there's, you know, there's different ways of doing it. You can either have a really great idea and pitch that to people and they give you money. So you have that time and space to create what you're doing, or you bootstrap it and you're just really hustling. Um, and I didn't have a business plan. I didn't have a firm idea. I just knew that there was a space in Japan for art in the commercial realm, that there was all of this amazing stuff happening, but it wasn't making its way into commercial films. It wasn't um, you weren't seeing it in interiors uh, for office art. You, there was this uh, untapped potential um, that I that I felt, and so just started pitching people left and right on on these ideas. And some of the early people that picked us up were like Red Bull. Um, we did a painted refrigerator project for them, um, and it was this pretty big project. And it was just um, Akadi and I doing it. Um, at the time. And, and I remember thinking, wow, these guys really took a, a risk on us. And at the end of it, uh, at the end of the project, I, I said, you know, as we were all having the the rap party and drinks together, I said, why did you guys pick us? Who was, who was the competition and why did you pick us? And they had mentioned other really big agencies that had pitched against us, but they said, we knew that if we went with a, one of those other agencies, it would be one of the projects they were doing. And we knew with you guys, we felt your passion and we knew that you were going to give it a hundred percent. And it was those early uh, chances that people took on us. It was those early opportunities that we have that, that helped us to build a portfolio. And uh, you know, you go to the next client and say, well, we did this activation for Red Bull. And then all of a sudden they're inviting you to do something else. So um, there was definitely a hustle. There was definitely, um, you know, some times along the way where I wasn't sure that it was going to be able to work. Um, but you know, we also had a, had a lot of help, uh, along the way. And, um, I really didn't, um, know what, uh, what it was going to look like. I just knew that there was something here. And it's kind of, uh, I think like everybody will tell you that you start a business with one thing in mind and then you pivot or other things happen and, you know, you find some success and then it's like, you know, you have, you hire other people and then those people need some kind of North star, like, what is our mission? What's the direction? And you're like, well, I never really thought about that. I just wanted to get paid to make cool stuff. Uh, and that's, that doesn't work as a mission statement. So all of this is just like, it's still a work in progress, you know? For sure. For sure. Um, you mentioned previously, you know, coming up on 10 years next year, right? So, um, like, you know, it's one thing just to have a couple people and just, you know, hustling out projects, but 
it's another thing to, you know, be celebrating 10 years of success and being a successful business leader and CEO. Um, how do you think you've been able to have this sustained success? And um, have you kind of developed a certain approach to leading or being like a business lead leader CEO? Do you have people that you kind of follow in this field? You know, because it can be quite different than coming from the art world, like you mentioned, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I could talk forever about, I just have so much to say about that. Um, I think one of the most important things for us um, as a company has been our community. I think the fact that I come from the art community here uh, and I came up through the university system and with each job that we got, we um, got to know more and more artists and, um, you know, was, was, I think I was viewed more or less as um, kind of like a fellow artist almost as opposed to like the agency, because I think sure. there's a lot of distrust of agencies and, uh, I, I'd love to have a beer with you off record another time and tell you some of my early agency stories. So I was on the other side. I knew what it meant to be taken advantage of as an artist. And one of the most important things for me in building this company was to be fair about that and to find win-win situations. And if you, ex if you exploit artists, then they can't continue to do what they do. And then their work is no longer offered to the world. And so it's in everybody's best interests, uh, to work in a sustainable way where artists can also make a living. And I think because of that stance, um, we have the trust of the, the art community here. And that if, um, you know, if we don't know somebody, chances are we know somebody who knows somebody. And so even with working with new people, I think we come with a reputation um, that precedes us, um, that makes it easier to reach out uh, to new people. So community, um, is, is super important. Um, in terms of leadership, I think I've made a lot of mistakes. Uh, I was doing this, I was hustling on my own for the longest time that when I was hiring, um, assistants, I was treating them as such that not really spending the time to, um, really figure out what makes other people tick and what their goals are and how to align those goals with the company. These are things that, you know, I didn't go to business school and I never studied these things, but I have, um, I have a very good friend, uh, my friend, Brent Ackerman, another, uh, fellow Canadian. He's, uh, out of Vancouver and was in Japan for a really long time, but he, he, um, did that kind of consulting work and just helped me to become more of a coach and to ask the right questions and to realize that if you want, um, talented, inspired people to continue working with you, you have to, you have to figure out how to keep them inspired as well. And sometimes that means, um, asking questions about what everybody wants to do and understanding they have a different way to do it than you would and a different vision than you would. And so how do we form a collective vision so that people want to stay and, um, help grow and help contribute, uh, to the company? There's, we're doing projects, um, too many projects now for me to, to be leading each one. So it's that letting go. It's like, okay, let's have a vision. Let's have a shared vision. And then how you interpret that and maybe how you act on that is going to be perhaps different than the way I would do it. And that has to be okay. Uh, and honestly, I never thought I would get here. 
Um, if you talk to some of my team members, they'd probably tell you I'm not there. Um, but just looking back five, even five years ago, the way that I approach things and now the way that I approach things, I think has been very different and, um, evolving as a leader, I think has, has been pivotal. Um, and yeah, I, uh, it's, it remains to be seen. Uh, you, you talk about our success and I'm flattered by that. And I could, you know, if I didn't know better and I looked at our website, I would assume that we're killing it too. But the reality is that, uh, we have more and more competition. Uh, I think that when I set out to do this, um, it really hadn't been done yet in terms of really trying to um, monetize art and even talking about art in in commercial ways. Um, and I'm not talking about fine art here, but I, I mean, uh, you know, office art or or um, art in commercial video art events. It, it wasn't. It was very rare, I think, at the time. And now. 10 years later, um, 12 years later, it's, uh, it's very much a part of the, the marketplace. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're constantly, um, we constantly have to evolve and, um, to rethink the way that we do things, but, uh, it's, uh, yeah, so far so good. Last year was tough, but, uh, this year's looking good again. And I think it gave us all a pause, uh, Cut me off at any time, man. I know I tend to, to tangent and ramble, but... Um, no, no, it's all good. Uh, last year was definitely, um, you know, construction stopped. And so uh, a lot of our office art projects, uh, hotel projects just came to a screeching halt. And then we had to think about what else that we wanted to do. And I think it was great because, uh, you know, it was scary at the time, but we, we thought about diversification and what other places that art could be effective. And um, it brought us to a different place in 2021 that I'm pretty excited about. So, yeah, I don't think the hustle ever really stops sure. for small businesses or even for big businesses these days. You have to really constantly be rethinking and recreating yourself to stay relevant. Um, but it's been a pretty good ride. For sure. Um, I guess, like you say, you know, last year for whatever industry you were in, it was kind of uh, a moment or a year to kind of um, check yourself or see what you're doing. You know, I think a lot of companies failed or didn't kind of pivot in the right direction or didn't kind of realize what they had to do next. Um, so you know, that's a testament to you and your team, of course, to come out of it with some, a new perspective, I guess, and um, maybe a new passion, right? Like an, a new, an, a new way to kind of look at um, what you were doing, I suppose, right? Um, Absolutely. You also mentioned, you know, now more than ever, the competition out there. And maybe when you started, you were one of the only players in the game, but now, you know, there's a whole big long list. Do you think there's something that separates Tokyo decks from some of these other uh, agencies out there? Something that you guys are doing that uh, the other guys aren't? Um, yeah, this is the question we, uh, we are, <laughs> we speak about at the weekly meetings. Um, you know, I don't, uh, I think, I think sometimes in talking ourselves up, uh, it, it also comes across as talking, um, or speaking ill of others, which I have no intention of doing, uh, in general. I mean, I think that 
the fact that there are more and more people doing um, corporate cur- curation and office art and bringing uh, more opportunities to artists is a great thing. Um, I think it's amazing that uh, the market is calling for more and more art. And so that's um, in the, at the end of the day, that's a great thing for, for all of us. In terms of what I think that we're really good at, um, I think that we, we sometimes um, refer to ourselves as art translators. So, um, you know, a lot of times people see artwork, like say in an office environment, because a lot of what we do is really artwork for offices. And they think that it's going to be the same uh, process as ordering furniture. Um, it's like, yeah, I like this one, but not that one or make that red or make that whatever. And that isn't the way that artwork works as it were. Uh, I think that the most powerful pieces come from really letting the artist have as much freedom as possible. I know that from my own work and I know that for, by doing this for the past, uh, 12 years and, um, educating clients and what it is that is appropriate and isn't appropriate to ask artists to do, um, understanding also that the client's vision and branding has to be respected and bridging that gap. You know, um, I, I think if you put a lot of times, if you just put the artist in the room with the client, they're not going to find that space and they're not going to understand and the work isn't going to be as good. I've been in a situation where people have asked us to make so many revisions that by the end, we're just like, here's the brush, like paint whatever you like, or, you know, sit here and tell me what to do. And then you get this completely um, dull work that is void of any passion because the artist doesn't care anymore. And so I think that we, everyone on my team has a tremendous sensitivity to that, whether that's because they were working artists themselves or they've been doing this long enough that they see what happens and they see where the really great artwork comes from. So one of that is understanding both sides, having business and art backgrounds and understanding both sides, I think is a, is a, a tremendous asset. And I think uh, being international is a, is a tremendous asset. Um, most of my team is uh, fully bilingual, if not have some English uh, ability. Um, I'm the only uh, person without a Japanese passport on my on my team. Um, I definitely have people from bicultural backgrounds, but um, it's always been important to me that if we're going to be working here in Japan, that we're we're speaking Japanese and very connected to the local community, but also provide. Uh, an international perspective. So it makes it really easy for us to uh, work with foreign national companies and uh, even to take uh, Japanese artists abroad and to understand the way that things work abroad. And we've done a little bit of that and we're really excited to do more of that uh, before COVID and had a couple of things in the works uh, abroad that obviously were put on hold. But uh, that's something we're super excited for. Uh, moving forward as well is like when we're all allowed to move again on the, on the earth that we could uh, bring some, some of the magic of uh, the Japanese art scene here abroad. For sure. Yeah. Um, Have you had some ideas about, you know, projects abroad or have you had uh, experiences where clients wanted some work in, you know, maybe you did something for their Tokyo branch and then they said, you know, maybe can you, come to Germany? Can you come to the States? Have you had some offers like that in the past? We uh, did a couple of projects in Shanghai 
we were invited to a music festival out there and I brought a couple artists and we did an outside mural. Um, we did the, um, there's a online digital marketing agency called digital luxury. Uh, and their Shanghai office brought us out with, uh, an artist duo called whole nine. And we did a, uh, we did a collaboration with a group out there called the texture group, um, that does lighting installations. So, uh, I think it's on our website, but we had, a we had murals that then had embedded neon super cool. Um, the challenges of course, of going abroad, um, are, you know, just being able to source local materials, physically getting people over there is expensive. Um, and, uh, it, it has to be a certain kind of project for it to make sense. But I also have been trying to just build networks abroad so that we can have people on the ground uh, in other places uh, and collaborators so that, you know, potentially have access to other artist communities abroad. And when we want to do something locally, um, we would have somebody who could help out with that. I think that there's uh, I don't want to tell I don't want to give too much away, depending on who's listening. But I think there's ways of getting artwork um to um, interiors in other countries without having the artist physically present the entire time. There's, you know, we're thinking of some different things for sure. Um, and as Japan, um, you know, the, the Japanese market, uh, I wouldn't say it's saturated, but it, there's definitely um, more competition. And one of the things that we are really good at is, um, you know, dealing with other cultures and foreign companies. So it's, I think it's a natural progression for us and people love Japanese art. You know, that's the thing. Japan, Japan is hot for lack of a better expression. Um, I think that there's a tr always been a tremendous interest in Japan culturally. And there's this, even to, even in 2021, it seems incredible, but with all the technology we have, we aren't at the point where it's easy for Japanese artists to just go abroad and start working. I think that there's, uh, there's so many things that need to be navigated in that process that we could help do. So excited for, sure. for that, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, in terms of some of your clients, when you, you know, create a piece or you do a project for them, is there something like, that you want them to come away with? Is it like a certain feeling or is it, um, you know, like you mentioned that it can kind of reciprocate um, this idea of creativity within like an office or a workspace is what's kind of uh, the thing that you want to sort of pass along when you, when you make these artworks in these spaces. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think if you had asked me that um, six, seven years ago when we really started to get into office art, I would have said that we want everybody to be uh, inspired and uh, feel motivation and, um, you know, just um, for the artwork to take them to a different place uh, and a different way of thinking. And all of that is true, but I mean, all of that remains true in terms of our goals, but I don't think that everyone has to love the artwork for it to be effective and for it to be a spark for change. Um, we've had different scenarios where people come in and they're like, I don't like this. Why didn't anybody ask me uh, what I thought of this? Or, you know, this isn't good. This artwork doesn't reflect our values. And 
the CEO uh, who is part of the curation team or the leader, whoever it is, will say, well, that's really interesting. Tell me why doesn't this artwork reflect our values? Uh, what are our values in your mind? And so it sparks this conversation that never would have happened without it. Um, I think that pe- the, the values of a company um, remain hidden, even if you have it on paper, that getting people to talk about what's important to them is so difficult that if a piece of artwork, if a mural in an office becomes a spark for that very difficult discussion to have, then, you know, that's worth the price of admission right there, as they say. So um, I really think that art as a spark, um, as an impetus for, for communication is, is massive. So if we get people talking, that's, uh, that's great. And one of the ways that we facilitate that um, in, in going through these experiences and having people say, I wanted to have more input into this. I, I, you know, this is part of my environment as well. And I wanted to be consulted or I have some ideas also. Um, getting that kind of feedback led us to develop these um, workshops we call um, vision art workshops where we actually go in beforehand and work with the team and do some hands-on creative exercises and uh, talk to people about vision and values and then get them to do sketches based on the keywords that come up during those workshops. And then we work with an artist uh, and give those keywords and those illustrations to the artist and the artist comes up with a piece that really incorporates everybody's input. And I think that the results of a workshop like that, the, re- the resulting artwork is so much more powerful for that company because it uh, literally and figuratively uh, reflects their values. And, and um, the ownership of that piece goes way up. Even if the, um, the team members didn't have a hand, they didn't actually pick up a brush and make it, they can see themselves in the work and it becomes a really powerful piece. And it also facilitates these discussions that a lot of times um, I think companies aren't, aren't really having, um, you know, by getting people to get together and, uh, and, and work, you know, do sketching or work with paper to make collages, it, it just flattens the entire atmosphere. It creates this environment where discussion becomes so much easier than saying, okay, today we're going to talk about company values. Like nobody's going to open up in an environment like that. And I think uh, we found a way to um, use creativity, to use artwork as a tool um, to, to spark these discussions that would be um, to facilitate communication that would be really difficult otherwise. For sure. Yeah. I think that's a great point. Um, You know, especially there's somewhat of the stereotype in Japan, right? Um, Where maybe people aren't direct in their opinion about how they feel. So when you put this piece of art, right? You know, art can speak more than words. You know, they may have something written down as a core value, but it kind of transcends language in a certain respect, right? And like you said, it kind of can touch upon values and can touch upon what this company means more so than even just writing it down, right? Words are also very important, but words uh, by themselves sometimes, uh, you know, aren't as powerful. And um, what we've been able to do is 
take the words to visualize them. And then you have a piece that says, you know, here was the conversation. These are the values we identified that inspired this. And you have a literal monument to that conversation. Um, that, that, like you said, is sometimes very difficult to have, especially in Japan. So for sure. Um, have you often found, well, I guess, you know, you're 10 years in, but I can kind of envision, you know, maybe companies wanting to update or add to a certain piece, um, you know, maybe years down the line into installation. Have you found something like this in your work? Yeah, there's a, it's so interesting. You should mention that because, um, you know, part of what we do, uh, obviously is, you know, as a business, we have to think about repeatable business and, um, going back to clients who, um, you know, generally, uh, are just ecstatic about the results that they got that you would think it would mean that we'd have repeat business. Uh, but instead, um, I think, you know, some of the, the murals that we did even six, seven years ago are in such great shape and so timeless in their design, um, or for lack of a better word that nobody's come back to us and they wouldn't, they almost wouldn't dare, uh, paint over them, you know? Uh, and so that's where I'm as a, as a fellow creator, I'm so happy about that. And I'm so happy that people are excited about the work and that it's uh, just in terms of maintenance that it's lasted that long with people banging into the work and everything else that it still stands the, the test of time. Uh, but it's not great for business, right? Uh, if you have happy customers, you want them to come back to you. So we're actually, um, when we were discussing that, we thought that the workshops would be um, an amazing way to go back to um, some of our uh, clients and say, um, how's, how's the, you know, how are you feeling about the artwork in the office? By the way, we're doing these programs now that, you know, use artwork as a conduit for, for communication and for sparking discussion. And, um, and it doesn't have to, the result, the end result doesn't have to be a, a giant wall. You know, it can be a canvas, it can be a screensaver. Um, you know, we always thought of our workshops as something that had to happen in person that uh, that was the only thing that made sense, that the process of creation was so hands-on and the communication was so important to share in the same room. And we still believe in uh, the importance of gathering. Um, but last year, that wasn't an option. So we developed an online workshop and uh, we're amazed at the results that we got there. You know, we have people joining from all different parts of the country or sometimes even internationally, which is impossible in a, in a physical gathering. And... Uh, people really enjoying themselves online uh, and, and um, sharing in that process of, of creativity uh, in a way that we hadn't imagined before the pandemic. So um, yeah, we, we do not get a lot of repeat business for our office uh, projects because people tend to move and stay for a really long time. Um, so that's, I think, a testament to the good work that we're doing more than anything else. I would hate to hear that uh, somebody come to us and say, we don't like this anymore. Please paint over it. But uh, yeah, we're starting to diversify our offerings and really looking more into, um, you know, uh, the processes of, of art and creation that can be applied to the business world. Um and, you know, art thinking has become a bit of a buzzword in recent years. 
Um, but the more I read about art thinking, the more I realize that it's, it's really the path that I've been following this whole time. Um, and, you know, combining the art, the, the worlds of art and business and looking for solutions, um, creative solutions to business problems, I think is something that everybody needs. And, um, yeah, that, that seems to be the way forward. I think for us, um, we're very interested in, developing um more programs for um education really through the arts for both businesses and uh you know um some of the community building um in you know there's there are all of these challenges that um uh regional towns in japan face in terms of depopulation and all these other things and how to attract people there and just bringing our work, we, uh, I think um, I, it's too early to announce, but um, it looks like we may be able to work with a, um, a local tourist board on and do a workshop there in terms of getting people to talk about their vision for the town and then having uh, a piece of art that becomes a monument to that. And those are the kinds of things that we're working on at the moment. Okay. That, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Kind of taking it um, in a little bit of a different direction, but at the same time, you know, keeping with kind of what you want to do with your core um, mission, I guess you'd say. Yeah, um, exactly. Have you, um, you know, I guess mainly you guys have been responsible for, you know, physical art and murals and whatnot, but some of the ideas you're touching on, um, have you ever thought of ideas or had opportunities for maybe um designing the layout of an office or like the layout of a building you know obviously you hear about some of these you know tech companies in silicon valley like the whole building is designed in a certain way artistically or like you know the floor um have have you thought about kind of taking it to that next level where you're not only designing you know an art piece but you're kind of making the whole thing um artful in a certain way I think we're already doing that, honestly, on a certain level. Um, I don't come from an architectural background. I did a bit of space design in terms of like installation work in my final years at university. Um, but we work with architects all the time. And what we're, find, what we're finding is that the earlier that people bring us onto the project, the more we can really incorporate the artwork into a core part of the interior. So we're working on a project right now that um, hopefully we can share publicly um, uh, maybe next year, February or so. But um, the, the, the architects had this vision of really having it uh, having artwork being pivotal to their vision. And so they brought us on and um, have been really amazing in communicating what their vision was and, or is, and then respecting our vision in terms of like how that's going to work and what we can do and what artists uh, will and will not be able to do and what might, like what we're good at as well. And so it's really been a collaboration um, so what, you know, we structurally and every other way for what you can build in the office and materials, that's not our forte, our forte is the art. So, um, being able to work with, uh, talented architects and designers at an early stage means that we're going to come up with things, um, 
that look at all of those things. Like what is the actual design of the building? What are the materials being used and how does the artwork look uh, and feel, um, you know, based on those parameters? So the answer is yes. Um, I could cert. I don't, we don't have the team uh, internally to facilitate like a, to, to lead an entire project like that. And I think we try to focus on uh, our strengths, which is really in the artwork creation, but um, you know, so much of what we do is collaborative uh, anyway. And uh, we are finding, you know, there's, there's this kind of uh, l- large spectrum, um, anything from, um, you know, everything's completely finished. Uh, the office is, is working and there are people there, but they, some, they feel like a company feels like they need a bit of inspiration and there's an empty wall. So we come in and uh, you know, we're adding artwork to an environment that's already there. So we're curating for that specific space um, to uh, we, we just have an idea that we want to pitch to a client or we're, we're doing a proposal. Will you be part of our proposal? And uh, you know, from our architectural firm and we want to include Tokyo Dex in that proposal, and then we'll get the gig together and really build it together. And then there's everything in between uh, those two extremes. So um, really depends, but, uh, yeah, um, the, the, the more we're doing larger and larger projects and the more we do, I think the more the team becomes confident in our uh, core capabilities and, uh, more and more opportunities will, uh, arise, I think. Sure. Yeah. I think like you mentioned, um, that's probably one of the important parts as you maybe expand, get bigger, or start doing projects with more and more entities, is kind of keeping your core values and your core, um, you know, mission as a company intact um, as things kind of progress, right? Um, Absolutely, it's um, it's something that comes up all the time. You know, I think it's large or small. Um, if you don't keep track of your North star, as it were, I think everybody just gets busy and they're doing the work. And then, you know, there's no time to, to ask why or how, or is this, are we on the right track? And, um, you know, we're still a small team, but, uh, I really am trying to check in with everybody and make sure that, uh, we remain, um, aligned in our values and mission. Cause otherwise I think, uh, you know, you, you lose sight as it were, you get lost a little bit. Right. Right. Uh, you mentioned, you know, potential of a few other projects down the line, you know, maybe working with a town or a city or, um, some collaboration in the future. Uh, what, what goals or like, you know, if you can put yourself, you know, two years, five years down the line, what kind of goals or, you know, where do you kind of see things heading with uh, Tokyo Dex? Um, in the future. Yeah, I would love to see, um, more community based artwork. Uh, I would, um, I think it's important. Um, you know, the team members I have right now are quite passionate about community building, about education. Um, I think that providing artwork for offices, uh, does really make a difference in the world in terms of, you know, the leaders that we have and people who have influence in society thinking a different way, even if it's just a little bit 
about innovation or about different possibilities. I think the work that we do helps them do that. And in that way can maybe help change the world uh, a little bit at a time. But I think that there's also something to be said for getting um, artwork or artwork experiences to people who don't have as much access uh, to those kinds of opportunities. And whether that means going into schools or working with local communities or um, developing workshops for kids to get them to believe in themselves, like we were talking about at the beginning of um, our conversation, just having these sort of pivotal experiences that make people think, huh, maybe I could be an artist or maybe it isn't so different to be an artist than it is to um, be a business person or uh, whatever it is that you do. I think that there's, you know, when we talk about there being an artist inside of all of us, um, I don't think that that means that we all have to create quote unquote artwork, but just seeing different possibilities and, um, I, I, I hate to speak in stereotypes and I love Japan and Japanese, uh, people have been so incredibly generous and gracious. I wouldn't be here this long if I didn't love the place, but I do feel like sometimes the education here and the messaging here is not one of inclusion and um, exploring possibilities. It's more about telling people no and to fit into certain norms. And I think it's going to be pivotal for Japan uh, moving into the future to be more open to new ideas. And I think they know that again, they, uh, who is they, but what the, 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 the companies that we work with understand that there has to be some process of innovation to remain relevant. They just don't know how. And when you ask us uh, what the vision is moving forward for us, I think it's in being um, part of that innovative process. And, you know, we're already doing it. There's, there's, um, it isn't as, I mean, again, we're proud of all of the work that we do, but if we do uh, a massive art installation for a giant American IT company, uh, it's going to be incredible and an amazing space, but that may not have as much impact uh, for change as a, one piece in a very small conservative Japanese company where people don't have the opportunity to see art otherwise. Um, so I think moving forward, that's what we'd like to see. Um, not just in reaching, uh, you know, Japanese corporations, but in reaching out more into Japanese communities and education systems and really to um, explore what, uh, what it means to, um, you know, again, art thinking is a bit of a buzzword and uh, we could have a whole other podcast on that. But I think that... Um, Using methodologies of, of create, you know, artwork creation and cultivate, uh, creativity cultivation are really pertinent, um, in all facets of society. So, um, yeah, in one word, I would say education is the yep. next step for us. Great. Yeah. Um, like you say, um, 
as we mentioned, you know, early on in the talk, right? Like all it takes is just a little bit to motivate someone, you know, I, I think especially at an early age to kind of maybe believe um, that art is not this magic place out there that, um, you know, they can do it as well, right? Exactly. Making artwork something that isn't this far reaching like concept completely outside of your uh, daily life, but that it's just an immediate part of your reality. You know, I think sure. that's uh, if we could do one thing, uh, that would be uh, something that we would strive towards for sure. Demystify art. Okay. Yeah. Um, I got to thank you for this, man. Um, yeah, this has kind of flown by. But uh, I just have a couple questions that I ask every guest, um, if that's cool with you. Oh, okay. Is this the what I had for breakfast thing? No. No, no, none of that. None of that. <laughs> so, I mean, this is called the Inspirations Podcast. And um, the questions kind of relate to that. So the first one is, what are three things or three people that have really inspired you in your work or with Tokyo Dex uh, or just in your life in general? Um, you may have, you know, briefly touched on this in the conversation, but what are, you know, three things or three people that have really inspired you? Um, I think that honestly, um, my time, my tenure with Kodo, uh, as short as it was, was absolutely life-changing. Um, the people that I worked with there and continue to work with today, um, you know, they're, they're, uh, it's, it's such a, a sort of strange place to be. We used to do um, uh, a show called, um, or a, an ongoing event called uh, This and That Cafe at an amazing uh, event, event venue called Super Deluxe in, um, in Nishiazabu that is, uh, has closed down recently. But we, we did an ongoing show there for eight years. And some of the people who just like swung by and popped in were just absolutely uh, mind blowing, uh, and it's just because I, you know, I I had these um, connections to um, th through Kodo, and I've developed all these friendships. Uh, there's a guy called Kaoru Watanabe who um, is based in New York and um, started as a jazz musician, and then became a Kodo member, and uh, now is back in New York and. Whenever he comes through, we'll do something together. We were doing a uh, an ongoing series called Resonance um, with uh, another incredibly talented uh, dancer called Tamango, and uh, you know Kaoru would bring people like Kiyohiko Semba. Uh, if you look him up, um, he's or maybe you know him if you're a music fan. But uh, Semba-san is one of these um, you know old school kagaku, the you know tsumi drum player in, in traditional uh, Japanese music, but it also just like an incredible uh, jazz drummer. And just to share the stage, I was, I was doing uh, visuals of uh, VJ work um, for the resonance project, but just to share the stage with people like that is such an incredibly humbling and amazing experience. And I don't take that for granted. I have so much gratitude for the opportunities that I've had uh, through Kodo um, I mentioned Johnny Wales earlier. I think that, um, uh, having, you know, living on Sato as a, 
a foreigner back in the 90s, there were about six of us on the island. So just having somebody that I could uh, speak English to that also happened to be an incredible person with similar values and a working artist was such a blessing in my life at the time. And um, do not think I would have chosen the path that I did uh, without him. And then I don't know why this person um, keeps coming to mind, but um, because I had my, 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 not, not that he's not an amazing person, but his, my experience with this artist was so brief and yet so um, poignant. Uh, there's a Chinese artist called Zhu Bin, X-U-B-I-N. And he came when I was at the University of Hawaii and just did a, a two-hour lecture um, and then kind of came and, and showed us some of the things he was working with and had a smaller seminar with a smaller group of people. But he was just one of those guys where he would show up and like your life was changed when you were gone. Like just, just the way that he looked at the world um, really taught me to stop and look at everything. I remember that back when I was working before I met him, I feel like I walked through space without really looking at the space and I was more focused on objects. And after working with him for just a short time, he challenged me to expand my view and really um, look at the world in a different way, as trite as that might sound. Um, so yeah, I guess those would be my more than three people. Great. No, that's good, man. And uh, last one for you. So um, I know for yourself, like with your work you've done personally, the work you're doing with your teams, Tokyo Dex, what does it mean for you to be an inspiration to someone else. They see what you've done or they see what you're doing with Tokyo Deck, some of your installations, and maybe it inspires them to do something in their life or change their life in some way. Uh, what does it mean for you to be an inspiration to others? Um, not sure how to answer that question with, uh, with humility. I don't know. I, you know, please send those people my way if you run into them. Um, <laughs> I'd like to think that that's uh, the case. Um, I have uh, had people, um, you know, we recently, somebody uh, wrote to us and said that they're, you know, she was working for a bank and would like to uh, work in the arts and had heard me speak somewhere and was inspired. And uh, I, I feel tremendous um, gratitude um, and, you know, humility about, uh, um, uh, about those kinds of responses. Um, you know, I think it's, uh, um, I'm not sure how to answer that question. It, there's no greater honor. Let's put it that way. If, uh, if, 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 you know, I think we all want to be inspired and be inspiring in some way. Um, and honestly, I, these days I feel more like a facilitator than a creator. Um, but I also do very much feel like, um, the work that we do, um, would not have been done without, you know, Tokyo Dex. Um, and we don't try to insert ourselves into situations where we're not needed. And that's a very hard way to run a business. Um, I, uh, you know, if you, if you want to make money, then you insert yourself into every place all the time and you facilitate some kind of margin. But um, 
I think we've really been able to stay on track and, uh, and, um, uh, stay on mission and do the work that's important and where we're needed. And I'd like to think that maybe that's inspiring. Um, for sure. To try to loop it back to your original question. For sure. Great. Daniel H. Rosen, uh, I got to thank you one more time for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to me and give some advice to the people, share your knowledge. You know, like you said, there's really an artist in all of us. And, you know, to appreciate art is kind of this universal connection, uh, part of the human condition. So I really got to thank you for continuing on this mission to share this magic with Japan and the world. And I definitely have to check out some of your work in person sooner rather than later. And maybe, uh, like you said, have a brew together and share a few more stories. So Yeah, um, absolutely. I didn't, uh, I, I think maybe Sean mentioned, but I, f- I forgot you were in Japan. So um, right, right. yeah, come by, man. The, nice. uh, the office is, a, our, our space is, I think, um, very inspiring and has a lot of uh, amazing artwork in it. So come by and check it out. And uh, cool. yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, I I tend to just blather on, but uh, if it's at all useful or interesting, that's great. No, no, this is great. So finally, um, you know, for people listening, where can they kind of keep up with you, follow what you're doing personally or with Tokyo Dex? I know you've got some different uh, social media. Yeah, I think that if you uh, look for us at Tokyo Dex on Instagram, um, I think we have a Twitter account. Don't use it much, uh, but uh, we're we're at Tokyo Dex on Facebook as well and um, TokyoDex.com. Pretty pretty easy to find, I think. All right. So uh, yeah, thanks once again for doing this. And uh, this was Daniel Rosen, and I am James Malian with ADSR Inspirations. Thanks for listening. If you want to hear more insightful and inspirational chats from people based in Japan and all over the world, make sure to follow us at ADSRcollective.com. We are on Instagram and Twitter at ADSRcollective. Then listen to the pod on Spotify, Apple, Google, and more. Thanks again for taking the time to listen. Until next time, stay inspired.